For months now, Donald Trump has informed us that the polls suggest, affirm, nay, prove that he's a winner. Leading all the polls, getting the biggest crowds, everybody's going crazy. I'm doing well. I'm leading in every poll, the little ones, the big ones. And every week I go up, 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 up. But this week, for the first time in over 100 days, the Republican field has a new leader, Ben Carson, topping several Iowa polls and a few national matchups. And that's shaking Trump's faith a little bit. I generally believe in polls. The thing with these polls, they're all so different. They're coming from all over the lot, where one guy's up here and somebody else is up there, or you see swings of 10 and 12 points. So right now, it's not very scientific. Yes, Donald, polls are stupid at this stage of the election. But as Nate Silver, famed poll cruncher and editor-in-chief of the data news site 538, has observed, polls, no matter how unscientific, do fuel media narratives. And those narratives can affect voters and thus influence polls. It's a question of which comes first, the media egg or the chicken poll. To find the answer to that question on the media and Nate's 538, hereby begin a collaboration to track the push and pull between polling, media coverage, and public interest in candidates. Nate, welcome to our launch party of two. Oh, thank you, Brett. (laughs) (laughs) So, do candidates get more coverage because they're polling well, or do they poll well because they get more coverage? And there's more than enough polling and media frenzy a year out from 2016 to make this a compelling question. I've never seen this much attention paid to polls so early in the campaign. And now it's October. It's a little bit more appropriate. But this was going on in June and July. In fact, the last time you had a candidate who was leading the polls at this point in the race and won was 16 years ago in 1999, Al Gore and George Bush. These things are going to be swinging wildly for a while. For the purposes of our collaboration, what kind of metrics will you be using to help us track whether the rises and the falls of candidates were being pushed first by public interest and picked up by the media or the other way around? Uh, We have a partnership already with Google because Google can track news hits, both how much candidates are covered and also the tone of coverage and also search traffic, who's searching for whom in the debates. And it's turned out that in a couple of the GOP debates so far, Search traffic proved a better guide to what comes after than kind of the media talk about the debates. Ben Carson, for example, at the first debate, you heard a lot of the press say, oh, he kind of was a non-entity. He's too soft-spoken. But after Trump, I think he got the second most search traffic. And lo and behold, he has moved up in the polls. Now, for pretty much the entirety of Trump's lead... His polling success has been attributed to media attention, specifically the inability of the press to resist talking about him. Stephen Colbert likened this to binging on Oreos. (laughs) I've got to exercise some discipline. There you go. Look, you don't own me. And I don't need to play tape of you to have a successful TV show. Over the past several months, about 60% of all media coverage of the GP primary has been about Donald Trump. However, if you look at Google search traffic... Which is your principal metric of measuring public Public opinion. interest. He gets 70% of the search traffic. In weeks where there is a debate, where other candidates get an equal stage, that's declined a little bit. But the public drives some of this, too. So Trump may be difficult to track that way. It's media coverage. It's public interest fueling media coverage, which then fuels public interest and so on. But it's the opposite case with Ben Carson, right? That's right. 
in this case, the Google searches came before the media spikes for Carson. So I think it's hard to put Carson and Trump into the same category. Many Democrats have argued that the media are suppressing public interest in Bernie Sanders by vastly undercovering him. There was a lag. I think there were points early in the race where people were searching for Bernie Sanders and maybe more importantly, saying they would consider voting for Bernie Sanders and didn't get much coverage. But I think that complaint is a month or two out of date. When you write articles about Bernie Sanders, they're as popular as articles about Donald Trump. People are really into listening and reading about Bernie Sanders. And so when organizations figure that out, then that changes their behavior some. I mean, he's now kind of immortalized the Saturday Night Live icon has kind of become a, a part of the culture. So I, I don't buy that now. For the past few weeks, Bernie Sanders has been undercovered. Now you're going to have several Democratic debates where it's all going to be kind of on Bernie Sanders' terms about policy issues that don't ordinarily get a hearing. One thing that we're going to be talking about is something that's called discovery scrutiny decline. Mm -hmm. This is the pattern whereby candidates may surge, then the press start asking questions about him or her, and then they start sinking. So this is a term that was invented to describe a number of bubbles, you might say, that occurred in 2011 and 2012. So there were literally four or five candidates, Michelle Bachman, Herman Cain, Newt Gingrich twice, Rick Santorum. There was a lot of excitement initially, then the news coverage turned, they were covered more critically, and then they declined after, oh, four to six weeks. So usually this happens when a candidate's near-term polling is out of line with what we call the fundamentals, right? Where you're kind of scratching your head and saying, I can't figure out why so many people think that candidate is so great. You could argue it's the case for Carson. His support is not very solid, meaning that people say, if you ask me right now, I'll vote for Ben Carson, but I haven't really made my mind up. If you had polls, by the way, that were honest right now, it would say 70% undecided, 6% Trump, 5% Rubio, 4% Carson. You know, that's probably a more accurate representation of, of how many people have really made up their mind so far. That's why we keep saying polls are stupid. Primary polls yeah. <laughs> are stupid. One thing people don't realize about polls now is that there's a lot of processing that takes place to the data. So if you just call random landlines, you're going to get a lot of older white women to answer the phone. Young Latino men don't have landlines. Pollsters are aware of that. So what they'll do is say, well, we don't have enough Latinos. And so every Latino I get, I'm going to multiply them by four. And every white woman I get, I'm going to cut her vote <laughs> in half. At some point, the massaging fails to work and you have polls that can be quite inaccurate. Now, in the U.S., the polls in the aggregate have still been pretty good. You looked at 538, where you take a weighted average of polls, put more weight on the more accurate polls. That did pretty well. It called just about every state right. Yeah, um, how, yeah, we know you're clairvoyant. How, however, <laughs> no, but I'm not. We're terrified also about the long-term direction of polls. There have been massive polling errors in the United Kingdom, in Israel, in Greece, in Scotland, in many other westernized democracies. And they're using the same basic techniques. So the fact that We've had these errors elsewhere is a sign that we could have trouble in the U.S. sooner or later, too. And so from what we can tell from the data we have, the media had a role in creating Donald Trump's prominence, but none in creating Ben Carson's. Yeah. So next time we talk, Nate, mm -hmm. we're going to see if we can get closer to an answer to the chicken and the egg <laughs> question. And I think that we may find a different variation of that answer for every candidate we look at. 
Mm-hmm. And the answer can be both, and it can be self-reinforcing. So I think Trump has realized that as long as the hype cycle continues and you stay in motion, the media likes objects in motion instead of objects at rest. So Donald <laughs> Trump is always in motion. <laughs> Nate, thank you very much. Thank you. Nate Silver is the editor-in-chief of 538. Their election coverage is at 538.com slash election. And you can find their podcast on iTunes. Coming up, 2015 has been declared the year of the political outsider. Happens every four years. This is On the Media. <laughs> 